Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name is Jason Carty. My name is Stephen Cockcroft. <laughs> and we're live on tape from Lapland, because it's Christmas Day. Yes. Um, we're, we're sitting in our log cabin. It's live. We're doing this live on Christmas Day for you guys, and uh, it's uh, it's a it's a beautiful snowy day, and we've uh, thrown a couple of Philip Normans on the fire. That's all very very relaxing. Having a having a good Christmas, Stephen. It's very relaxed. I don't know about your chestnuts, but mine are roasting. <laughs> I can see that you've got your you've you've exposed your net chestnuts to the fire, and that's what it's all about, really, just relaxing. And this unbelievably is our fifth annual review. Our first one was in 2019. This is number five. And once again, I'm going to ask the question, was it a good year to be a Beatles fan? It's always a good year to be a Beatles fan. And that's always the correct answer. But this year in particular was a very different year to be a Beatles fan. And we'll get to it. We will get to it. Um, But if you haven't heard our review episodes before, our plan is to generally walk through what the Fab Four and all peripheral um, Fab Fourites have been doing for 2023 and uh, see what we all think. Uh, I think it was a good year. We're certainly in a very different place than we were 12 months ago and things have happened that we didn't think were going to happen. This is very true. Hmm. Uh, this is very true. <laughs> Let's start with some of the low-hanging fruit, which is um, Mr. George Harrison. Didn't really, he didn't really have a very impressive 2023. What? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You were just excited that his catalogue landed on Atmos in streaming services. That's all. That's all you've been listening to all year. That's all I've been listening to is because I'm the Atmos guy. I don't know anyone with an Atmos system, including myself. I would like one, but I still haven't delved into the magical world of Atmos. I have a 5.1 system, mm-hmm. and I don't know whether if I just buy another two speakers and connect them to the additional speaker connections at the back of the receiver it works or not but um, if someone would like to send me a pair of up firing speakers i'm prepared to uh to give it a go but well is your is your is your it depends whether your decoder is actually an atmos decoder or it's just sending some of the five one channels just onto extra channels because that's not true atmos i think that's i won't have true atmos and i'm quite frankly not prepared to spend what it must be 50 or 60 pounds to buy an atmos decoder <laughs> i'm guessing at least 50. It's, no, it's, it's, it's a lot more. It's quite a significant... Out- well, it depends on which way you want to go. And the thing with Atmos is uh, a wide range of things seem to be Atmos these days. So a pair of Beats Flex headphones will play in Atmos, but that's not multi-channel Atmos. Um, 
you know, a, a laptop will play in Atmos, but that's not Atmos. For that kind of big room Atmos things, yeah, you need a, I think, 7.4.1 or something. I don't know. My prediction for 2024 is that I will not be investing in an Atmos decoder thing. Yeah, and as you like to say, think of the children, and I don't know if, if Atmos came into the house, and it's like, oh my God, how many speakers can I get this King Crimson album out of? Uh, I'm, I think there'd be, <laughs> I think there'd be a, the local council would get involved. Isn't Atmos the new 5G and it's going to kind of fry all our brains and make us vote for Donald Trump? I mean, I'm not prepared to take that risk. Well, no, I don't. Jeez, I don't. Uh, I don't want to take any risk that uh, anyone might vote for Trump. Yeah, I can also confidently predict in 2024, I shall not be voting for Donald Trump. <laughs> I think that's... Uh, yes. that's that's safe to say. <laughs> Is that your inner monologue talking? <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, yeah, George George hasn't really done... George's catalogue returned to the Dark Horse label and uh, they put it all out on Atmos back in uh, February, but there's been no box set. There's been no Living in the Material World multi-CD physical Atmos collection. Um, there was just a Ravi Shankar Family and Friends album reissued, which is a good album, not knocking it, um, and an Apple commercial. And an Apple commercial. Yes, let's talk about the Apple commercial, because I'm generally, I'm, I'm against commercials. I'm against, well, I'm against commercials generally, uh, this terrible yeah. consumer society in which we live in, as Paul would say. That's why you've given it all up. You're, a lot of people don't know you live in a commune, Stephen. I do. I have no things. I have no material possessions whatsoever. <laughs> Imagine no material possessions. Imagine Go no on. material possessions. Mm. But yeah, I thought, I thought this, I liked, I liked this little charming, it was a charming little video and you know it didn't make me want to go out and buy apple stuff but i Mm. I thought it was very well done and it fit the song and it was an interesting use of the song and an interesting version of the song yes it's kind of an amalgam hybrid of the new and old mixes of the song and if you haven't seen it it's this i haven't seen it on television i've just seen it online so i think it was just like a promotional thing on the apple website a little four minute cartoon very nicely animated um and it chooses george's isn't it a pity and We've touched upon this before. My feelings have kind of changed over the years from the very puritanical, no music should ever be in ads, to the fact of, well, you know, maybe there's going to be one or two extra George fans as a result of the silk commercial. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters anymore. That's since you were paid $100 to advertise that Canadian chap's video show. Your attitude changed entirely, as did mine. Did that ad ever go anywhere? Um <laughs> Yeah, I imagine he's he's playing nothing but King Crimson to Canadians in Saskatoon. The big George Harrison album that came out in 2023 was, of course, the first Splinter album. Go on. It was released for Record Store Day. This has been unavailable on vinyl. It came out in a beautiful pressing for Record Store Day. Splinter were the first uh, group signed uh, to the Dark Horse label. Originally, uh, I was going to say invented, but originally sort of invented, discovered by Mal Evans, uh, as you mm-hmm. can read about in the Mal Evans book. It's a very good album, and I say it's a George Harrison album because he spent more time on that than he did on Dark Horse. And uh, it shows. <laughs> yeah, but it's very good. I bu- balked at the double uh, Ravi Shankar live vinyl that came out for Record Store Day on Dark Horse, but I'm keeping an eye on it in my local record store. And... Uh, when it hits the appropriate level... You're going to steal it. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> so, you know, we can still hope and pray that we might get something 
2024, living in the material world, Dark Horse box. I don't know, maybe now that it's all under the Dark Horse umbrella, something will happen. But we're not getting any younger, Stephen. We aren't. I, I hope you're praying to the right people. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's two and a half years since the All Things Must Pass box. So, yeah, that's that's George. Um, let's move on to next Beatle, John Lennon. Again, no box set, but we got an announcement and a promise of a box set. We got a promise of a box set. So, a year we've late. We've been there before. <laughs> we've been there before. A year late for its anniversary. We're, we're getting the Mind Games box. I'm quite excited about the Mind Games box because I've always yeah. thought there's a good album in there really struggling to get out. And I'm a big fan of everything that Sean Lennon has done with mm-hmm. John's back catalogue, with Yoko's back catalogue. He's very sympathetic mixes and the box sets are an example to everyone, <clears throat> Paul about the way these things should be done. I second your emotions and your statements. I would say, um, yeah, it seems to be, if, if you haven't heard the news, um, it was announced on uh, Lennon's birthday, when they usually make their announcements, that there's a Mind Games box set coming in 2024, which is likely to be in the exact same format as the Plastic Ono Band and Imagine boxes, which is multi-disc, multi-types of mixes, surround sound, uh, and all the rest. And there's also going to be, just like the was with Plastic Ono Band and Imagine, a big standalone Mind Games coffee table book, which I'm also very interested in because I'm thinking, yes. how are they going to fill a book with all that stuff? What, what What's in there that we haven't seen? And we can still ask, you know, whither sometime in New York City. I think we have to let that go. But uh, the thing, you know, there was a song I was listening to during the week which just came on, Random Play, which was Meat City, right? Yes. And I just thought, oh my God, that song if it's mixed sympathetically, mixed well, that song is going to fly. Because it's pretty it's good. Gonna, it's, it's a great song. And I just mm. think uh, this is not, I think, a controversial view. I think the worst producer that ever worked with John Lennon was John Lennon. I think he was a terrible producer of his own work. Some of the songs on Mind Games I really like, but they just don't kind of work. And I think the, the sort of the remaster that came out years back on CD helped but i think sean i'm counting on sean and then they can hand the entire beatles back (laughs) catalog to sean and he can do all the box sets and the mccarty archive i i I don't argue with any of that yeah no i I, i'm really looking forward to that they are the best box sets whenever i go back to them i'm still surprised that there's corners of them that i haven't listened to or that i haven't really gone into and they keep on giving and bring it on mind games walls and bridges double fantasy all of them all of them. Uh, Sean is the man, but I'm still not buying Bitcoin. Anyway. <laughs> yes, and I'm not going to throw away my voting registration and not all politicians are the same. Anyway, um, that's John. Uh, the next Beatle I have on my list is Chex Notes Ringo Starr. He's I see been you're pretty much... <laughs> what? <laughs> I see you're going in reverse order of bigness. I'm going in reverse order of activity, yes. I and uh, <laughs> going... <laughs> Ringo should be number one um, he should be number but Ringo, one Ringo has been doing that thing he's been doing for the last little while which is touring and putting out EPs and I do not have a problem with any of that he's done two kind of North American jaunts he's already announced another one starting in May 2024 uh, he's put out the Rewind Forward EP which has a brand new McCartney song and performance on it I, I'm not complaining about any of that no, I think Ringo has spent all of 2023 like he has the last 
five or ten years, which is being Ringo. And mm. fair play to him. Fair play to him. Fair play, is not Van Morrison? But... I don't know, are we ever going to see him on this side of the Atlantic again? He seems to be quite happy getting in the van, well, private jet, with his mates for six weeks and um, travelling around and just calling it a day. He can't he can't be making a ton of money on those tours because he posts these Instagram videos and he's staying in very palatial and lovely hotels <laughs> with his crews yeah. and they seem to be travelling very comfortably and he's playing kind of three or four thousand seater halls. Um but it's good for him if it's the fun of it. Yeah, I think he's doing it because he just likes being in a band and mm. touring. And, you know, he's happy, as you say, getting in the jet with his bags full of broken guitars and uh, <laughs> moving from theatre to theatre. I think he's not doing, he doesn't have, you know me, I'm a man of no ambition and I admire men <laughs> of no ambition. <laughs> Ringo is, you know, if you offered him, I'm guessing, you know, a tour of South America, American football stadiums, he wouldn't thank you for it, you know? No, Um, no. I think he's just happy doing what he's doing. And yeah, I think he's going to outlive us all, except Keith Richards. Um, There is another uh, thing that I read about, which had kind of passed me by, which is he has put out a book in conjunction with Julian's Auction House, which is called Beats and Threads, which is $80. Or you can actually get a yes. signed copy for $500. I thought he his days of signatures were far behind him. Hmm. Yeah, but my days of signatures are far behind me unless someone would pay me $500 for a signature. I mean, <laughs> you know, you, you, man, man's got to live. But um, yeah, this is he's done some great videos. I saw him videos. wearing his his red Mac, his 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 rooftop Mac again, sitting at a set of drums, and it blew my mind. Yeah, and uh, that was that was of course that not his coat. That's Maureen's coat. That is true. Yes, he put on his uh, pink Sergeant Pepper outfit, and he still fits. You know, he, it still fits. So yeah, great. I think I might <laughs> I might using all the uh, podcast revenue. I think I could probably stretch to the eighty dollar version. I, I, I'm not prepared to spend eight, 500 pounds for Ringo. I have Ringo's signature on a book. Oh, of course you do. Um, but, I thought, um, but no material possessions? I. Uh, but he's not selling this stuff, sure he's not? It's just kind of more an exhibition thing, isn't it? Or is he selling it? Yeah, I think it's an exhibition. Mm. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it's an exhibition. I mean, he lost a lot of uh, memorabilia in that famous fire that... Chevy Chase started, if you remember that news report. <laughs> I do, yes. No, Chevy, I should say Chevy Chase did not burn Ringo's house down. He just happened to be there at the time <laughs> he for has the an news alibi. camera. He has an alibi. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it, if you haven't seen these clips, they're well worth looking at. And for him to sort of be sitting at his drums wearing the red Mac, it's very surreal and it's still Ringo. And yeah, he seems to have an interesting relationship to this kind of stuff. He's not, uh, you know, he often talks about, oh, I don't want to write a book about, um, you know, those seven years when I was famous. Um, he, he doesn't delve into it the same way Paul does. For, so for him to be kind of neck deep in the clothes and all the rest, yeah, it's a bit striking. What I want from Ringo is not a book about his years with the Beatles. I want a book or a documentary film made about Ringo from 1970 to 2023 that's the period of Ringo's life I'm interested in there's there's gold there if they need an executive producer or a you know artistic advisor I'm I'm on board give me a call a kickstarter Ring. let's just do a kickstarter we can do it Perfect. um yeah 
Yeah, uh, I, I, I totally agree. Um, so let's let me just check my list here. We've done George, we've done John, we've done Ringo, Paul McCartney. He had this very, very, very... His, his year was really quiet until about June. I didn't really see him do anything yeah. until about June. Uh, and all we knew was that this book was coming out, Eyes of the Storm. And then he suddenly appears to do all the promo for it. And it appears that, you know, he's he's been away for six months and he's back. He's got this crazy non-beard and he's telling us that the Beatles have a new single. And all hell breaks loose. And at the time, yeah. I was kind of thinking, you know, Paul, you've done it again. All the eyes of the world are back on Paul McCartney. Um, but he's been, he, the last six months, he's just been all over the place. He's done so much. But it did start with that Eyes of the Storm Beatles single announcement. The Eyes of the Storm, if we can talk about that. One, I think it's a terrible title for a book, Eyes of the Storm. What? Mm-hmm. It's yeah, like, like, like Eyes on the Storm. But you see, the eye of the storm is the centre of a storm, but there was four of them and they had eight eyes. So they were the eyes inside the storm looking and the outside of the storm are the people on the streets of the storm looking at them in the hotels of the storm. In the yeah. storm. Mm, I think that's why. Okay. Mm. Okay, it's all clear to me now. It, eight eyes to hold you. <laughs> eight eye eyes to watch storm. you. <laughs> Anyway, Eyes of the Storm. What would you have called it, Stephen? I would have called it Eye of the Storm. Okay. Um, anyway. Anyway, I, I did not get to see the uh, exhibition, but I know you did and you raved about it. I saw it twice. Mm. I went twice. It was so good. I named it twice. It was so good. <laughs> I went to see it twice and it was so good. You didn't bother to go and see it at all. And you're hashtag Team Paul. I am, but I, I don't. I don't live in the UK. So there's that as well. Yeah, of course. There's the whole immigration <laughs> hassle of getting in. Um, um, but but y- yeah, you you just raved about it. But it was it was just the photos. But they had them all laid out in a certain kind of chronology. And oh, you can't. I can't even begin to explain to someone who wasn't there what this was like. Try and use the medium of two babbling men to describe fantastic photography. It was. It was. You know, I had I had reasonably low expectations because I thought these are just sort of snaps. These are just like holiday photographs. It, it, they're worth seeing because he was there. But one, I was really taken aback by the quality of the photographs. Mm-hmm. You know, um, particularly, you know, not working. These days you can take 100 digital photographs and they just ditch the ones you don't like. The way it was laid out, the way it walked you through the year in black and white and then they went to um, Miami and he got his color film. And some of the shots in Miami were just amazing. And I think mm. the, thing that, the thing that came across was the sort of innocence of it. The fact that these were just four guys from working class backgrounds in Liverpool, from a black and white Liverpool, just lacing by the pole in Miami. You know, mm. the thought, they, they couldn't have, possibly thought they they would be there or do that and Cynthia is there and Brian is there and they're interacting with the traffic cops but the most interesting ones are the photographs that Paul takes of the crowd the screaming people behind barriers as they're driving up in in limousines and he's just kind of going click 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 so you get these series of quick reaction shots of of you know there's one of a little girl screaming and then you know, her mouth gets wider and wider and she's sort of straining to get 
to the car. It's it was spectacular, and if I think it's now moving to America, okay, uh, and it's going to be an exhibition. So I I would really recommend everybody to go and see it if it if it's within a hundred thousand miles of where you are, uh, <laughs> go and go and see it. If it's on Earth and you're on Earth, you should go see it, unless you're yeah. me. Um, now, he did, at the start of all this, this was the first we heard about n- Now and Then. He didn't name it as Now and Then, but he said, oh, and, and it was a bit of a fiasco. It was probably a bad way to launch it because he, he said the dreaded word, we've got we've used some AI. We've got an AI Beatles single coming out. And um, you and me, Stephen, we're very good at nuance and, you know, I understand technical jargon. Um, but a lot of people thought this was just going to be one of those totally made up fake songs. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it wasn't an AI song. They'd used Machine Adapted Learning by Peter Jackson. Um, but he, he teased this single. And I have to admit, at the time, I kind of thought he was, you know, I st- I didn't realise it was a done deal. I think initially I thought he was talking in a vague, oh, this might happen type thing. But we now know in retrospect, back in June, it was in the can. It was done. It was done. And I, I, I expect there were a lot of PR people in Apple Mm. Not ha- not happy. It was kind of you know like I imagine there's like a big button they can slam on the desk. Paul's gone rogue, and <laughs> they they have to uh, you know go into damage limitation mode. And it it was you know like they suddenly had to get Giles Martin out to say it's not AI. Then Ringo was commenting, oh, it's not AI. It's actually John. It certainly, as you say, Paul is very good at generating headlines when he's got something to promote. But I think that set a tone for what was coming and as you know i'm not a cynical kind of guy but uh <laughs> i i i felt apple didn't handle this well from the beginning and i think they were probably off balanced by paul and his announcement and they never i think really recovered to, to they never really got ahead of it um mm. after that yeah, I mean, we let's come back to now and then in a, in a, in a second because I just want to wrap up one or two other things. The the other kind of stuff that Paul did was he went back on tour, which was quite amazing. He's just finished now a run of massive yeah. South American shows. I think your prediction last year was that he was not going to play live ever again, and yeah. I wanted to know: Would you like to make a prediction for twenty twenty four? My prediction for twenty twenty four is that. We for the fifty fourth year in a row, Paul will not play in Belfast. <laughs> okay, I think that's an even money bet. That yeah, uh, that's yeah, my okay. prediction. I think <laughs> right. It's it's you're you're never on Facebook, so you don't see the emotion that this stirs up whenever you know the live show from Rio, and there was the, it was available as a video, it was live streamed, and somebody put it up, and then immediately somebody said, I can't sit through two hours of Paul's old man <laughs> voice, and it's just terrible, and he should not tour ever again, and people saying, it's Paul McCartney, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, and I think, yeah, the circular argument. Yeah, and I think my, my attitude there is, if Paul wants a tour, you know, it's not for us to say that he can't tour, and I think if you're at a Paul McCartney concert, certainly for the first time, there's no better the emotion, place in the world. There's no better place. Yeah. The emotion will carry you through. If you have seen Paul McCartney at any point in the last six, seven, eight years, know that this is going to be the same show. Yes. I don't know why it's been renamed Got Back. It's the Freshen Up tour with a bit of added, um, I got a feeling with Lennon, and that's about it. But the stuff I've seen of it, it's essentially the same. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I think probably they called the get back because calling it the same old, same old is probably not <laughs> a, a winning, um, a winning yes. tie. But it is a part, a part, you know, I'd quite like to see the John Lennon duet on uh, I've Got a Feeling. But apart from mm-hmm. that, it is the same set list to all intents and mm. purposes. Yep. So having seen him three or four times in the last, you know, in 2018, 2019, I don't need to see this show again. But go and see him. You know, it's Paul McCartney. He's doing the hits. He will, you know, deliver replicas of the yeah. band. Will 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 deliver Beatles tunes. Yeah, and yeah, go on, go go and go and see him. Personally, I would rather go and see Ringo. Yeah. Um, just because I haven't <laughs> seen I haven't seen Ringo since the early nineties, and I think well that'd be an interesting thing to see. I'd like to see him one more time. Of course, I'd really like to go and see the Stones. But anyway. Anyway, well, we can get to that in a sec. Um, Yeah, Paul did North America in 2022. He's just in Australia and South America in 2023. You know, is Europe next on the cards for 2024? The stadia of Europe seem to be filling up with gigs already. I certainly know in Dublin, looking at the scorecard for gigs next year, uh, we've got Coldplay, we've got Taylor Swift, we've got a couple of other big stadium gigs coming through, so he better find some room if he wants to if he wants to hit this part of the world but you know that's um that's uh, that, that's Paul and he's going to go somewhere i guess yeah i i believe there are football stadia in belfast so i'm told <laughs> uh mm-hmm. so you know i'm sure one of those would be available we'll make if room it, you know if needed you've got a garden that's all I right i've got a garden um well what about 2024 because there's rumors that we're going to get a brand new album. It's already been teased in the latest edition of Uncut Magazine. It hasn't been given a title or anything, but it's kind of been told that we've got a Paul McCartney album to look forward to in 2024. We know, what we know about it already is that Andrew Watt is the producer and he's recently getting lots of garlands and he's being carried around in a sedan chair because he produced Hackney Diamonds for the Stones, um, which is quite a good record. And uh, we do have the Band on the Run 50th Anniversary Edition. Everyone was looking for that, weren't they? And you can file it next to your McCartney 3x3x3x3x3x3 deluxe reissue. Yes. (laughs) Where do you stand on all of that? Well, first of all, um, you're going to listen to a twin and brand new Paul McCartney album. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I'm. I, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a tough now. <laughs> yeah, I will listen to a new Paul McCartney album, and I am excited. The first time, the first thing that was in my head when I heard the Stones album, uh, you know, I got to the end of that, and I thought, "Oh my God, this is the guy that's going to be working with McCartney." Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm very optimistic. As you know, I'm not a fan of chaos and creation. I don't think Godrich was a good fit mm-hmm. uh, at all for Paul. Um, I was not blown away by New. I was not blown away by Egypt Station. I really liked McCartney 3 when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so I, I, I actually, you know, bought two copies of it. Uh, <gasps> but, um, you know, yeah, it's out again. What is that about? I mean, they're supposed to be promoting Band on the Run, which I had yep. in my head was going to come out this year, this side of Christmas, because that's, you know, it came out very late in 73, but it's actually coming out in February 74, or it's coming out in February 2024. So they're advertising it now, but at the same time, they're putting out another version of McCartney 3 with a cover 
by you know the, the same guy that did now and then so paul mm. is kind of linking to that and i think what no one wants this well, no one wants it. I find it odd. I, I totally agree with all of that. I find it odd that he announces Band on the Run for February, then subsequently announces another reissue for sooner than that. And there'd be a lot of <laughs> happy dads with their copy of Band on the Run if they'd released the 50th anniversary edition in the first week of December 2023. I think it's an interesting reissue. Um, again, if people haven't heard, it's the first album remastered, whatever. But then the second album is uh, what Paul is calling Underdubbed, which is essentially an early mix of the album that was done in the start of October 1973 by Jeff Emmerich in order to prepare the album for final overdubs, final vocals and strings. So there's a couple of, there's no orchestra at all. There's a couple of missing guitar parts. There's a couple of early vocal takes and it's a different running order. And we've already got one track out, which is the band on the run you know, title track itself, which is an interesting listen. You, you've listened to it. Yeah, it was interesting, but it's not essential. And... Well, is anything essential, Stephen, really? What's the wow. point of I think living? the box, the Luxe box set of living in the material world is essential. Oh, okay, uh, okay. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's interesting. I think it's an interesting thing. And, uh, you know, it makes me think, well, why didn't you do this for the Band on the Run archive set? hundred percent. had this... Why didn't you do that? I would be more interested to hear the demos that were supposedly stolen in mm. uh, Lagos. But again, even that story, he didn't record those demos on a cassette tape. You know, he yeah. recorded those demos in Rude Studios largely, and then they were dubbed to a cassette so that he could take them uh, to, to Nigeria. And those cassettes were stolen. But he must have those demos. That would be a more interesting thing to me than... An, underdubbed is you know it's as much a word as rock down <laughs> it's a stupid word yeah you might as well say band on the run unfinished well it's just it's just the it's just the rough mix I, I am a big fan of alternate albums, I have to admit. Fleetwood Mac have put out a series of alternate albums in the last couple of years of different mixes and different takes. And, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of fun when you want to listen to Band on the Run, but don't want to listen to Band on the Run, you can, you can kind of put it on. But you're right, it should have been a disc in the box set back in 2010. Um, it should have been a standalone Record Store Day release, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I don't really need a, an umpteenth copy of Band on the Run to go with it. Uh, I'd be happy for it to be a standalone release. But I'm, I'm glad it's something, and I think it will be interesting and I do like parallel history versions of records. Have you seen how much it is? Yeah, I'll be streaming it. <laughs> yeah, everything's everything's expensive. It's a double vinyl album, and the the price on the McCartney store is fifty two ninety nine and four pounds fifty for shipping. So yeah. it's almost almost sixty yeah. sterling. You know, it's over sixty euro for a double album. And you've already got the first album. You've already got the first disc multiple times. I've got many, many, many copies of Band on the Run. I've got the 25th anniversary edition, so I'm kind of tickled that it's the 25th anniversary of the 25th anniversary edition, which was the first underwhelming reissue of Band on the Run. Um, so maybe we can kind of make our own box set with all these kind of Frankenstein sets of Band on the Run. I'm going to buy the CD, I think. CDs are back, 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 people. I'm telling you this, but it's it's only twenty six pounds. It'll it'll drop. Um, if though we are getting uh, this this reissue in February, and we've got this Andrew Watt album coming down the tracks, 
I can't really see another big reissue coming next year. The the London Town Back to the Egg, I'm just going to assume that's dead in the water. Is the archive collection dead in the water? Yeah, I'm pretty convinced it's dead in the water. Unless, unless, relaxing backstage at the Macarena Stadium, he was listening to our uh, Press to Play episodes and he was thinking, you know what, those Irish guys are right, Press to Play it's a fucking brilliant album. And uh, I, I get, get me my archivist on the phone and get that box set out in 2024. Let me patch things up with Eric Stewart and get back to work. Yeah, well, Paul McCartney, 2024, there'll just be stuff and more stuff and we'll be slightly vexed, and but it'll be grand. And I, I am always, it is hard to believe, I know we are complaining about the three-year anniversary of McCartney 3, but it is hard to believe it is three years since the last Paul McCartney album. I've kind of lost sense of time, like many people around the world, in terms of what's actually happening. Um, So yeah, it is about time that we got a new Paul McCartney album. And I'm curious because I I like Hackney Diamonds a lot, but of course he's kind of got a a Stones template to work to as a producer, Andrew Watt. And you don't really know what the McCartney template he's going to work to is because... In some ways, he doesn't have a template. <laughs> no, and I am tempted to think that the Stones are perhaps more willing to take direction. You know, Jagger mm-hmm. in particular, I think, is always willing to take direction from whoever he perceives to be the producer du jour, whoever the young people are listening to. You know, Jagger's always got his eye on that or his ear on that. I don't know, you know, we hear, you know, McCartney working with Godrich doesn't end well. Working with Costello, there's always a bit of friction. I I think Mm. the Stones are probably much more collaborative. But then there was arguably more writing on this for the Stones because it had been, you know, 273 years since their previous album. (laughs) And uh, there was a lot writing on it. Well, the question is, and I don't know how true it is, but there's this sort of hubbub that it's not, not necessarily a Jagger album, but that Jagger was the main motivator to get this record done once and for all and to lead out on the 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 making of it and i don't know how true that is or maybe that's a bit of projection it's yeah it's interesting i i, I didn't get that sense from listening to it I, I you know there's a lot of great guitar work on it there's a lot of great riffs on it and i think i think keith and ronnie are as engaged as any other player on the disc so I suppose it's like Ringo said, you know, it was always Paul would phone us up and say, let's get back in the studio. And maybe Mick uh, does that. You know, Keith is all about playing live. But I, I think it's an album in which they are all very much engaged. I would really like to think that Andrew Watt will get that kind of engagement or is getting that kind of engagement from Paul. Uh, I read a thing uh, just the other day, um, which was, you know, the the critic Robert uh, Christgau, Christgau, I'm never sure how to pronounce that. Christgau, yeah. But... Crisco, and um, that his criteria, f- when he, his criteria for reviewing an album is, um, do I want to? Is twofold. There's two things he thinks of. One is, do I want to play it again just to hear it? And two, am I ever actively and unconsciously enjoying what I'm hearing on some purely aesthetic level? So, do I want to just, do I want to hear this thing again? And am I actively getting something aesthetically enjoyable from it? Which seems like a, a very obvious thing to say, but it's nice to hear it put so succinctly. And by listens alone, I've listened to Hackney Diamonds an awful lot. It's become one of those car albums that just seems to play all the time. I'm kind of amazed. And it's been in the top 10 since it has come out. It has not left the top 10 or top 5 in the UK anyway. It is actually a hit record. It's very interesting. 
It is. It's a hit record in an old-fashioned sense. Yeah, not proper. not it not in a. I'm in the charts. I'm number one for a week, and then I'm gone. I mean, it's it's no. hanging around. It is. I think my most listened to album, or maybe my second most listened to album, certainly in the back half of the year. Uh, but yeah, it is an album that I, I I haven't grown tired of listening to it, and I've listened to it a lot. Yeah, me too. Um, so it it uh, it uh, bodes well. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um. Okay, I think I think we need to kind of flex our knuckles and get on to uh, <laughs> half an hour in to talking about the actual Beatles and the actual Beatles in actual 2023. And there was a couple of small parallel stories. There was the Stowe school tape, which was very interesting and all the rest. But let's just cut to the chase and let's talk about now and then. When we started this season, we did an episode zero. You know, we did not know back in September... What exactly was happening with Now and Then? So, you know, Paul did this kind of ad hoc announcement. As you say, there was a bit of rowing back done. There was this moment in April, in August when we thought it was all about to drop, and it didn't. What we've subsequently learnt was that this song was ready at the end of 2022, and they had to try and figure out when to put it out. And it was very nearly going to come out earlier in this year. It was supposed to come out in March at one point. They, But they were trying to figure out where once they knew in the second half of 2022 that this song was coming, they were trying to figure out, they being the record company, about what it could be attached to. So before we get on to the song itself, the red and blue reissues, was that the right decision? No. Okay. Continue. No, it absolutely wasn't. It makes no sense whatsoever. And I know that people will complain about me complaining (laughs) <laughs> but I think it was a terrible decision. And I mean, you can mm-hmm. say, oh, well, you know, the albums got to number one, except, well, maybe, no, they didn't. A lot of people were annoyed because I think of the Beatles, the, the official UK Beatles canon starts with Please Please Me. And for me anyway, and I think a lot of other people, it finishes with the Blue Album because it was really those two albums in 1973 marked an end, I think. It was a... Okay, the Beatles aren't 1973. They haven't done anything for three years. They're not getting back together again. Here is the full stop. And I object to adding songs, mm-hmm. changing the set list. I object to the way it was done, where things are just kind of bolted on at the end and then you don't get things in the right running order. Well, or perhaps you do if you buy it in a different format. Um, so those things aren't the same. Plus, 1967 to 70, ends with the song released in 2023. So that makes no sense. And for me, I would be very annoyed if in 2027 they release Sgt. Pepper and say, but you know what we're going to do? We're going to not only remix them, we're going to put Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane in there because that's what the original intention was. And I think no one wants that tinkering with Sgt. Pepper or the White Album or changing the running order or mixing it up. And I regard the Red and Blue Album as much as canon as the mm. thir- 13 UK albums that came out between 63 and 1970. So here endeth the uh, <laughs> rant. Um, okay, and I take all that on board. I don't, because I'm so much younger, I don't particularly have a, any 
attachment to Red and Blue at all. I don't know the running order off the top of my head. I didn't own a copy of Red and Blue until about five years ago when they were putting out all those albums with magazines, you might remember. Um, So kind of my canon starts with uh, Please Please Me and ends with Past Masters 1 and 2. <laughs> That's kind yeah. of my canon. So, and, and I think it is certainly is true, and we've touched upon this, which is that people of different ages that have different introductory, you know, might have been the rock and roll album, might have been real music, it might have been, you know, the anthologies. But but I do get what you're saying. They 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 certainly were born of the Apple universe and George and Klein and all the rest. And they certainly worked as a, a postscript at the, or as a bookend at the time. Um, but uh, I, I don't I don't have that kind of I don't I'm not locked in on the, the track listing. Um, the objections I have to Red and Blue are, first of all, the similar one to you, I didn't realise until the actual day they came out that the vinyl had a different running order to the CDs. And I thought that was insane. Um, so the first thing that I thought was insane was I went into my record store to look at them and the price, I thought the price was outrageous, obnoxious. Certainly in Dublin, the triple vinyls were €75, Euro, which is about, what, um, I don't know, Um but €150, Euro, if you wanted to buy both of them, seemed to me to be outrageous. And the CDs were, well, they're 25 quid each, but there's, there's still a markup there for a double CD for 25 quid. But 75 quid for the vinyl, and for the vinyl not to be, you know, I, I thought, you know, either be one thing or the other, either have an expanded chronological set list or don't. But don't do this thing which, with the vinyl did, which is put in the extra tracks as a standalone third record. And if you look at the blue uh, third album, you know, the chronology is all over the place. It starts with now and then, side five, track one. Then it goes to 68. Then it goes back to Within You, Without You, because heaven forbid that should be up front on a Beatles album. And uh, I think it's just a mess. And it certainly would make you think because the, the double albums are not in a triplicate sleeve. They're in a double, or the triple albums are in a double sleeve. You know, maybe they did have the stampers for the first two and they just slotted in this extra bonus album. Uh, I don't know. It, it just seemed crazy to me. The CDs, on the other hand, um, uh, you know, I'll pick them up in the sales or something. I, I, I quite like the playlist tracking of them. And, you know, it's been interesting. My kids, uh, you know, have kind of been poking around and, you know, like, oh, these are all bangers, all these songs. These are great, whatever, you know. They recognise all of them. And I've said this before elsewhere. It is a glorified Spotify playlist. It is a branded Spotify playlist for the new generation. That's what these are. And you know, Red and Blue works very, very well because the later stuff tends to be more popular with the young people and you can cart off the early stuff and people can look at that in its own time and they can look at all the later, more popular stuff because post-66, 67 tends to do much better in the streaming universe anyway. So, uh, yeah, I I, I, I don't get the vinyl CD separation. I think they should have just run with the running order and not be half of one thing. Um, I don't mind now and then being, I think it makes more sense being at the end of the two CD run or the end of the playlist. But yeah, side five, track one, it doesn't make sense. Um, so I actually haven't bought them yet. Have you got a copy of the 2023 20, Red and Blues? Yeah, when everybody was um, sitting by their wirelesses waiting for the single uh, to be released and played at two o'clock. Uh, mm. On the day that data that came out, I was over on the Beatles website hoovering up the limited edition box sets <laughs> and things. So I, I I bought you know fifty copies of the cassette single <laughs> and uh, 
No, I bought the uh, I bought the double box with the two okay. final, but it's not. I'm not opening it. It's just it's part of my pension plan. <laughs> um. And, uh, you know, we could spend an hour or two talking about the actual individual remixes. Yeah, let's not do uh, that. Oh, okay, I thought you were going to say, let's actually do that. No, because, I mean, I've, I've listened to some of them, and I kind of think yes. there's nothing that I want to hear. Uh, uh, these are not for me. Mm-hmm. These are not for you. Um, these are for <laughs> young people. If we had a young person, we could ask. Um <laughs> Definitely not. There definitely isn't a young person anywhere. Um, uh, yeah, uh, have you any, uh, maybe we'll keep it to one. Do you have like a one good remix, one bad remix? The one bad remix is I Am The Walrus because <laughs> I think it strays. I mean, it's completely reworked the back end of that song. And I think it strays from a production decision into an artistic decision. And no doubt, the Beatles themselves or their organization have signed off on it, but I think it goes beyond simply pulling out the drums or boosting the backing vocals or creating a stereo mix or moving the drums to the center. It's an actual artistic decision to fundamentally change the back end of that song. And I appreciate I listen to it and I think this is this is this isn't this isn't a song. It's like getting up in the morning and coming down to your living room and finding all the furniture has been rearranged. It's like your house, but it's not. I mean, that happens to be quite often, to be fair. But um, <laughs> Have you checked your carbon monoxide alarm? Yeah, I think that must be it. But I'd say so. I get these are not for me. These are for, as you say, people listening in their kitchen on a mono speaker, uh, single speaker blasting out. Fair enough. Not for me. Uh, do I have a? I thought, do I have a? Yeah. Have a, a mix yeah, that I really, like? really? No. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, uh, when I first heard the "I'm the Walrus" remix, I kind of laughed. I thought it was so egregious. It's apparently supposed to match the chaotic mix of the mono. I'm not too sure about that. It's very different. But the two ones that really annoyed me were "Revolution" because I really wanted that to kick ass, and it still doesn't beat the mono version. And um, Old Brown Shoe. I don't know what they've done with Old Brown Shoe, but it's a, uh, it, it's just it's a mess. mess to me. The one, the ones I do like. Um, I think the Rubber Soul tracks are really actually very good. Um, the, the 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 In My Life mix I think is really really soft and lovely and perfect. Um, you know, um, you can't do that. Hard Days Night stuff. There are some kind of shining, sparkling moments, but once you get into that stuff that you know intimately, and it seems very very different. It's 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 very strange. End of part one. Intermission. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. End of intermission. Part two. But we still are skirting around the issue. Everyone wants to know, 
the official Nothing Is Real opinion on Now and Then. Because when eventually they did get round to releasing Now and Then, and, you know, we can argue whether it was the Stones or Taylor Swift that delayed the announcement, it was a very tight announcement. It was announced one week, released the following week, and then the Red and Blues came out the, the week after that. Now and Then, what is your verdict? It's quite nice. It's quite nice, isn't it? I, I mean, I, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's great. I think it's a wonderful song. And um, it's, uh, you know, I kind of heard it again about a day or two ago and I hadn't heard it in a week or two, you know. And, you know, you kind of need, these things need a bit of time and need a bit of distance. And I was kind of, um, I, was, I was kind of potting around and I realised I'd, I'd bought the single, but I'd never actually played the single. So I put the single, the actual seven inch on. And yeah, it just sounded lovely. I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic song. Um, I don't really have a problem with it being at the end of the Blue album. I think, you know, I, I know your point that it, it's sixty-seven to seventy, but I, I think it does work on a number of levels. I think it's a fine song. I think it's very well constructed and put together. Um, but the thing that has struck me throughout the last couple of weeks of hearing it is um, that you are getting John Lennon's voice. And we, you know, we had Real Love and we had Free as a Bird. But, and as much as I'm very fond of those songs, you could kind of tell that there was some trickery going on. There was a veil in the song. Um, Whereas with Now and Then, it's really, really incredible what they have done technologically. And to actually be in a shop or to turn on the radio and hear John Lennon's voice as the voice of the Beatles... um, to me, I, I think it's been a, a great thing. I think it's a great thing, but you asked me, did I, you know, did I think it was a good song? I, I think it's an okay song, but it doesn't have <laughs> to be a great song. It's, an, mm. it's enough that it exists. And I agree with you. It's a great, I, you know, I really enjoyed it. It's a bit of an earworm. I, I, I kind of had it playing in my head for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, and yeah, I could still kind of hear it hear the hooks it's it's got everything that you want from a Beatles song in the sense that it's got hooks every 20 seconds yeah. there's something yeah. there and you know it's like Ringo said about Free as a Bird it really sounds like them it sounds like <laughs> the Beatles um, but uh, you know I heard I had heard the work tape and let's be clear it's not a demo that they were working it was a work tape it wasn't a demo it was less sure. than a demo yeah. and I, I think, you know, in 1995, George Harrison was probably right that this is not a particularly good song. Uh, the tape is terrible. Let's not talk about the rewriting of what did George actually say or what did he actually mm-hmm. mean. But I think it's like you always say, Paul McCartney has this superpower that he can hear a record in his head. He can hear the finished record. He knows what the drum part is, what the bass part is. And that can be fantastically useful in the studio, very irritating if you're his band mate and he's saying, no, no, just play this or just play that. And maybe in 1995, he thought, yeah, he could hear this in his head. And I think he's done a very good job. Um, It's great to have it. It doesn't have to be the best song in the world. It's great that there's one more Beatles song. Is it the last Beatles song? I don't see why it should be the last Beatles song. We have hours and hours of get back material that have all four Beatles on it that Paul could go in and finish. Why not? I, I think the, as yeah. the technology improves, I think, I think the temptation to do it will be irresistible. The one downside of all of this 
is, I think, the anthology reunion and Free as a Bird and Real Love are just being quietly sidelined and pushed to one side and the whole marketing thing was the Beatles are back together again in 2023 they haven't put out a new song since 1970 mm-hmm. was essentially the message you know um, for, for, for an old chart watcher like myself it certainly warmed the heart to see the song go to number one uh, which it did in the UK and in a couple of other countries um, which did mean it was their first number one in uh, 54 years since the Ballad of John and Yoko and stretched their number of UK number ones to 18. And so, uh, you know, someone who grew up on the Guinness Book of British hit singles written by Mike Reed and Tim Rice and all that, Paul Gambaccini, um, then I was, uh, you know, uh, that meant a lot because um, if you were of the anthology age, you probably still, you know, take a, a deep intake of breath through gritted teeth when you think of Free as a Bird being released after Anthology as a single and thus not getting to number one. So at least they got the order right this time round. And, you know, I thought it was going to be a difficult thing to get to number one, but it got to number one by a fair margin. Now, it doesn't take a lot to get to number one these days, but it got plays, it sold an awful lot of physical media, and it did um, it did very well. So I was, I was glad for it to be there. I think We'll see how it is over time. As I said, it's nice to kind of come back to it. I, um, you know, the Beatles were all just about great songs. So all they have to do is deliver a great song. And I think they have delivered a great song. Um, it's not going to match your 30-year-old memory of hearing I'm the Walrus for the first time. Um, but, you know, it, it was certainly, from a personal level, a song that I, I, I needed at the time. Um, the uh, I think, obviously, though, we cannot move on from talking about now and then without talking about the amazing video that came with it. Huh? You love that video. It's brilliant. That video's fantastic. My God, I've never seen such high-tech wizardry. This is the first video, I believe, that Mr. Peter Jackson has ever made. And to date his last. video Peter Jackson has ever made. Yeah. Yes. Um, Uh, It's, it's, mm. it's, a curate's egg. <laughs> okay. The first time I saw the video, I I was like, what is happening? <laughs> uh, uh, and then I got to the end and then I watched it again. And uh, the more I watched it, I now have zero problems with the video. I understand what people's problems with the video are but I will stick my fingers in my ear and go la-la-la and refuse to listen because I just think uh, the Beatles made many slapdash, very silly, uh, crazy music clips and videos that were just done on a lamb. And I know we've we've talked about this at our live shows and all the rest. I'm sure Peter Jackson would have loved... Uh, if Paul and Ringo could have given him two days on a green screen together so he could actually compile them properly with clips of John and George. And instead, Paul and Ringo just said, "Mm, or we'll just record it in our house on our phone and you sort it out. And that's kind of what he's had to to work with. So I think, you know, maybe he had one hand tied behind his back. Uh, When it works, it works brilliantly. And when it doesn't, it just makes me smile and think that's silly and fun. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. It's good in parts and bad in other parts. And I, I, but when it's bad, it's really bad. 
It's the Mills and Boone sunset or sunrise at the beginning. And you just think, what? And then suddenly you get that, all four of them lined up. And I thought that this is just the cheapest looking. It looks as if they spent about 50p on some cheap camera to put that together. And then you get this incredibly affecting final sort of 60 seconds where it's spooling back from... Mm. Uh, you know the the rooftop and the final photo session, and it's back as children, and it's the fans, and I I find the last sort of minute of the video, minute and a half of the video, incredibly moving, but and it it's it's got no continuity of style, yeah. The video, so it's just kind of chopping and changing for oh, what does this button do? What does that button do? I would argue that uh, we are living in 2023 and there is no consistency of style in our universe or in our media habits these days. Anyway, all that stuff's gone out the bloody window. And, you know, the I, I do agree that the end of it's very affecting, but I, I also sometimes feel that um, we need to have a bit of a knee-jerk against this kind of rock aristocracy, authenticity, the Beatles, look how important this is. And to have stuff that's a little bit goofy and memeable and kind of silly and, and dumb is no harm as well. And, you know, I, I, as I said, I think it could have been done with a bit more finesse if you wanted to do a music video where, you know, clips of John and George are hanging around. And there are bits where it works very well, like when, you know, 67 George is in, you know, Hog Hill, Hogmill Studios and George is in the background and all the rest. And when Ringo is sitting at the drums on the Hello Goodbye video set, you know, I think that works very well. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, it, it it could have been a bit tweaked a bit more. But as I said, I think Paul and Ringo were like, you know, we've done five minutes uh, on our cameras and now you can just compile a video of some type. I, I, I Again, I'm very, you know, I have found the interesting part of this process is that, uh, you know, once upon a time, Beatles music was being reissued and remarketed and I was the young person buying it <laughs> when it was coming out on CDs and, and all the rest and Anthology was coming out. You know, I'm very interested to see the generation who've whose first significant exposure to the Beatles was Peter Jackson's Get Back, for them to experience a new single, for it to generate so much joy in younger Beatle fans. And again, my own kids were like, yeah, there's a new Beatles single. That's, you know, uh, it is a little seed that will grow and have repercussions this this song uh, for for a lot of people there've been an, there's an awful lot more beatle fans because of what's happened in the last 12 months yeah i'm so old i'm not going to live to see that little seed grow to be a mighty oak <laughs> we don't uh, the, you know the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago second best time is now and uh, we don't plant trees to sit in their shade but for future i don't know i'm trying to think of the old japanese proverb but in short now and then, uh, yeah, I think it's great. It's fantastic. I'm delighted the world has one more Beatles song. Um, I look forward to having more time with it. And yeah, I, I, it's, it's a thumbs up from me. I certainly did not expect on January the 1st that by Christmas we would have this song. It, it, you know, irrespective of Paul's early firing of the gun back in June, I'm still surprised and amazed that it actually happened at all, and there's there's one final story. Did you hear the story, Stephen, about um, the uh, Caroline Bookman, who was in the string section for now and then? Did you hear this story? It's a very sad story because um, Paul uh, recorded the strings for now and then um, in Los Angeles in 2022, 
and it was recorded in secrecy and the string players were gathered at the last minute to come to the studio to record what they thought was a just some strings for a solo Paul McCartney song called Give and Take. There wasn't any vocals. And one of the string players was um, a, a young lady called Caroline Buckman, who sadly passed away in March of this year. She'd had a battle with cancer and she died at 48. And she never knew that she played on a Beatles song, um, that she played on their their final, to date, number one. Um, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of quite sad and remarkable how the Beatles wind their ways into, into people's lives. <laughs> and Paul kept that secret. <laughs> now, you know that there's a significant noisy cohort of Nothing Is Real people who think we are too mean to Paul McCartney. And I'm going to wind that back and say, um, I'm going to give Paul both my kidneys and I love him very much. Um, but, you know, I, I just heard a noise there. I, I, I think even though we are live on Christmas Day broadcasting to the masses, I have definitely heard somebody scurrying about outside. And um, I, I know it can't be producer Ado because he's unfortunately been called away. He's normally here on Christmas Day. And I definitely made sure that he didn't follow us up to the cabin. Uh, he hasn't been able to make it this year. But I, I, I just think that, that there's somebody going to knock at the door. Oh, my God, I'm going to open it up. Who is it? It's it's a Christmas elf. Oh my God! It's North American roving correspondent and resident young person and international pop star William Henson. Happy Christmas, fellas. Hi, William. How are you? Have you had a good Christmas so far? I've had a wonderful Christmas, fellas. I I got to be honest with you. Uh, what a beautiful snowy day. It was kind of a treacherous walk up to the cabin, but I'm. I'm happy I was able to make it. I'm glad that you guys uh, left a flare for me. Yeah, well, yes, that that is true. That that of course was a flare for you. Absolutely, hundred percent. It wasn't. It wasn't to warn warn you off. Or... Yeah, not a cry for help. No, we weren't. <laughs> um, do you like now and then, William? I love now and then. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think. Like you guys said, I think it is. I, I heard you while I was walking up to the cabin. Um, I. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's remarkable what they're able to do. I, I do also, I, I said this when it came out, um, but I mean, it's certainly not going to be the last Beatles song. I mean, can I ask you a question? You sure. said you like. You said you liked now and then. Sure. Is it super good? <laughs> well, no, but I mean, I, I I had this conversation with with my buddy. Uh, Josh, Josh, friend of the pod, Yay, the pod. Um, and because because he he called me and he was like, man, this is like it's like good, but it's like good, you know, and uh, and I said, well, yeah, I mean, obviously it's good because if it was great, it would have been out fifty years ago, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like yeah. you wouldn't just leave Hey Jude on the on the cutting room floor, you know, it's like, um, it's also weird. I, I, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I, I, I think it's hilarious, not hilarious, but I think it's interesting, I guess you could say that, um, it's branded as a Beatles song. Free as a bird is branded as a Beatles song. Real love is branded as a Beatles mm-hmm. song. When there were, they were John Lennon songs written after he was a Beatle. I mean, I know I, that's that's a very obvious thing to say, but it, it the fact that such a big hubbub was made that it was the last Beatles song, and it's not it's not really even a Beatles song. 
No, I agree with you, and it's very much in this. It's very much in the style of the Lennon solo piano ballad, slightly apologetic love song. You know that he didn't really do those until. You know, it's Imagine, basically. It's it's post nineteen seventy one Lennon, but we are post nineteen seventy one. I mean, it is twenty twenty three Beatles, and I know what you mean. This isn't the last Beatles song, but I think, in in many ways, it is the last De Novo Beatles creation. You know, there's other stuff in the vaults and there's other stuff that we pulled out. But, you know, and uh, yeah, Lennon is strictly speaking the songwriter, but Paul has edited it, taken certain bits out. He's moved it around. There is a bit of Lennon and McCartney tweaking going on here. I I, I, I 100% agree with you. I just think that uh, it's, it's interesting. So many people get upset about, you know, oh, it's, you know, do we touch the sacred texts? Do we leave it alone? And like, honestly, I mean, McCartney, he's a pretty driven guy. Mm. We all know that he's a pretty driven guy. He could go in there and piece together something every day <laughs> from all the material. That it, it, By that metric, it's like, okay, well, what is special? What is allowed? And what isn't? You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, I think that's that, that's... That was my main thing about now and then. Obviously, though, I'm kind of like you, Jason. Like, I, I think the the chart thing. I I walked around. To, that was the week of Thanksgiving, mm. or or right after Thanksgiving or something. And I I walked around to all of my family, and I said, "Can you believe? Can you believe that a band that broke up in <laughs> 1970 is number one in the in the UK?" <laughs> um, but yeah, I. I I like now and then. I'm happy that it happened. I think, uh, kind of going back to what you just really quick. I just wanted to to say uh, really quickly about the the McCartney, the band on the run, new anniversary edition, and McCartney three. I think, if truth be told, I think probably those announcements were delayed by. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Now and then, yeah. and the red and blue. And, you know, all all those dads that would have been happy to have a 50th (laughs) anniversary edition of Band on the Run probably are sitting there fine with their editions of the red and blue (laughs) that their kids got. (laughs) Or or, or their Who's Next uh, uh, 11 CD set, Um, which uh, is probably the reissue of the year. Um, Yeah, I I, I think... uh, yeah, of course. Uh, you've made me think there about Liverpool sound collage. Is that Paul McCartney going back to Beatles tapes and making new music? It kind of is. Um, he could be doing all Which that kind of on- stuff. Which, honestly, again, I, I'm down. I personally, as long as it's done well, I think that that's fine. Mm. And I think Now and Then was done well. I think secretly Now and Then sounds like I don't know from Egypt Station, but I'll digress. Mm. Um, I It's very... It's very um, you know, twenty first century McCartney production. Yeah, with a little bit of Rocket Man soundtrack from <laughs> Giles Martin. I, with it is a little it, it, bit. It's quite um, considering this yeah. is the guy who quite recently gave us a song called "For You." <laughs> um, it, it, it's quite a um, a very clean, clear production of a record. There's nothing there that's necessarily going to timestamp it. You can argue there's a bit of time stamping with what good old Jeff Lynn did to Free as a Bird. Some people are not fond of that. But there's a very, you know, 
Paul hasn't made a record that sounded as clean and unproduced in quite a while. You know, you can kind of often feel the hand of his producer um, like you do in Egypt Station or all the rest. So it's, it's as you say, sure. Rocketman soundtrack is a, is a good shout. It's a very, it's a very clean production, you know, strings, drums, neat, everything yeah. in its right place. Yeah. Um, I thought it was done really well. I just think it, it's like Stephen, you know, Apple has just, I, they must be running around amidst a fire. Well, over there. they're also dealing with the biggest band in the world with this really heavy legacy and four people who are all intimately involved in what's going on with one person in particular, Paul, really driven, as you say, to try and be a, uh, you know, he, he, it is not a hands-off operation. You know, Dylan no. runs a hands-off operation. You want to put out the bootleg series number 50? I don't give a shit. You know, just do it. I'm just going to yeah. go on the road. I'm going to record another crazy album. And, uh, you yeah. know, he, 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 he just, you know, it's it's a different type of archive. Um, you know, it's amazing that anything gets done. Um, I, 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 you know, Red and Blue are kind of an expensive folly but now and then, I think is a great song. I'm glad it exists, and I think we can all agree it's better than the long and winding road. Okay, that's my controversial statement. No, can I tell you the one the one thing that genuinely upset me okay. about uh, the the lead the lead up was the fact that when they interviewed Ringo and they said, "Why is this not out yet?" and he went, "I don't know. <laughs> it should have been out by now." Well, I don't know, and you just had a sense. You had a genuine sense yeah. that. You know, and the rumour is that he did not particularly want to revisit this. He did not particularly want to do it when he was first asked. And supposedly the rumour that Giles Martin was dispatched. Mm-hmm. You know, that Paul said, you know, do you want to come and we can do this? And Ringo, not so keen. Mm. Um, and that Giles Martin then persuaded him to come and do it. So I think there is this sense that Ringo, yeah, fine, come in, drum, I'm gone, do what you like. And he had no part of this. And I think it's kind of, I used the word on Facebook page and then I was, I was sort of criticized or laughed at that it was kind of distressing that one of the, that one of the key members of the band, 50% of the band who are still with us, seem to have no insight or not be involved in yeah, but R- these decisions. Ringo has form. Like, you remember when he was waving the revolver box set around online before there was an announcement? Oh, yeah. Like, he just doesn't... Like, you know, you could say to Ringo, Ringo... Like, Ringo was definitely told at some point, Ringo, that song is coming out on November the 2nd. End of story. Oh, uh, yeah, whatever, piece. I don't know what's going on. He's <laughs> just off doing something else. I don't... Uh, I take that with a pinch of salt. There is a, a good article that came out in Billboard which did explain this kind of odd thing that we mentioned earlier on which was that yeah it was in the can for a year before any before we got to hear it and people were like what do we do with this thing and it would have been very different if it had just suddenly dropped early in 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 March and maybe that's why Paul's calendar was kind of vacant at the start of the year he wasn't really doing much then they took a decision and they, they looked at the diary, they looked at the re- release schedules and said, you know when they're absolutely the best time to release this? <laughs> the best time to release this is when the Stones have their first album out in five decades and the Taylor Swift album is about to come out. Yeah, that's perfect. Let's put Nobody knew well, those things to, were happening. To, to be fair, to be fair, uh, Taylor Swift puts out a new album every week, so 
there's you're yeah. always that's a minefield you're always going to have to deal with. It, yeah, it's <laughs> like in New York City, you're never more than six foot from a rat, and just in the universe, you're never more than about a fortnight away from a Taylor Swift record. That's just the way it goes. Exactly. We're in Taylor's universe, and you keep her name out of your mouth, Stephen Cockroft. She's great. Sorry. <laughs> You just then were, were you were then faced with the situation where the two big releases, oh yeah, were the New Stones album and the New Beatles single. Well, also, and there was that very funny, funny cartoon with the two guys oh, yeah, walking yeah. past the record shop in in October, and and the Stones, and the Beatles, and we're like, how how far back did the clocks go last weekend? <laughs> you know, um, I just I just thought it was odd. Let's call it a coincidence. Yeah. Well. 2023, you know, we we mentioned their band on the run and we should, of course, talk about the people we have lost in 2023. And I think the the person who looms large over all of this is the recent sad passing of Denny Lane, who really has a, you know, had a unique position for over a decade of being, you know, the only person to last that long in a creative partnership with Paul McCartney in Wings. He was there for the whole Trek, even, you know, Wings put out, you know, more records over a longer time than the Beatles did, you could argue. Um, you know, yeah. he, uh, it was, you know, we knew he was unwell, but it was a sad loss. It was. Danny Lane, gone now. Too soon, Stephen. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it, it apparently, um, you know, purely accidental timing, you know, the, the, the same week that Band on the Run is... Uh, is announced for reissue, uh, Denny passes away. And once again, you go to Paul's website and I am distressed at the number of obituaries that Paul has written on his website. You can go to the news section on paulmccartney.com and you just see all these black boxes of, you know, we had a great time with this person and we'll see you in heaven. And it must be tough. This is going to be like William Hinson's website when we go. <laughs> Every week. <laughs> Every week. Just be sad, sadness. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm opening, I'm opening Paul's uh, website here in the background. And yeah, he's, uh, he's got Paul on Denny Lane and then you scroll down and he's, he's got... Tony Bennett. Yeah, Tony Bennett and all these things. And they're all very heartfelt and it just goes to show the reach of the man. But it's uh, it's it's a, it's a, it's a big Buffett. ask and he just keeps on going, you know. I saw an interview with Mick Jagger and they said to him, you know, it must have been very difficult uh, when Charlie Watts passed away. And he said, yeah, yeah, you know, he was more than a bandmate. He was a friend. And they said, well, I suppose you're at that age now where your peer group are dying and Jagger said yeah that's why I don't hang out with my peer group I just hang out with young people because mm. they're not going to die before me and I think well yeah we're, we're in that it's the decade of mass extinction of that rock royalty we're sort of entering in although it's a de- I said you know it was a decade but I think it's stretching thankfully yeah. and a lot of them are still with us but I think yeah we've got to kind of live up to that or we've got to brace ourselves for what's coming. I saw that Jagger interview and I thought it was fantastic, a fantastic interview. I can't remember the interviewer, but we'll post a link on, on all the rest of it. It was a very good interview. And yeah, we, uh, you and me, way back in the before times, back in 2015, we did a podcast with our friend Dave for the afterward and we posted, posited this notion of the decade of mass extinction. And the notion was that between 2015 and 2025, 
we were going to see a wave of deaths. And, and, and we kind of, uh, my memory of that was that we talked about, you know, the legacy of people like Paul and Dylan. And in, in, the, in the end, we've lost people like Prince and Bowie and Tom Petty. The people who have died in that time aren't even, you know, we still have, no. you know, Paul and Bob and Mick on the road, incredibly. Um, yeah, yeah the, the, the death of Charlie Watts was hard. But yeah, that Mick interview is very striking and very human, I thought, you know, because it's very odd to say to somebody who's 80, hey, what do you think of 80-year-olds dying? You're like, yeah, it's, yeah. you, you wouldn't, well, wouldn't do that to an 80-year-old you know. I think it's very cool that all of these people, uh, that they do loom so large because if you think about, like, you know, I'm essentially the age that the Beatles were while they were the Beatles, and, you know, do you think that they were reminiscing and, and when all of these, like, pop culture people were were going on to the next phase, like, during that period of time, like, there just wasn't, there wasn't that many, uh, I shouldn't say there weren't that many, uh, how, how how do I phrase this? How do I phrase this? <laughs> um, well, they said yeah. you weren't bemoaning when Mrs. Mills passed away. No, I, I, the, I, I, sure. I, I um, you know, the two big Christmas songs that are, you know, playing on the radio at, at present uh, in this part of the world are uh, Slade's Merry Christmas, Everybody, and um, Wizards, I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day. Both those songs came out on the exact same day in 1973. So they are 50 years old. Um, they are perennials. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think in 1973 people were listening with the same ears to the music of 1923 or the the acts or the, right. the, the culture of 1923. There is this been very odd blurring over the last 50 to 70 years of, of popular culture where, you know, the, the longevity of it and the mixed with the access to it has meant that it, it, it lives in a different way. And yeah, it, yeah. It, uh, it, it's remarkable to me that, you know, particularly Bob Dylan, who really is just going to die with his boots on, it seems. He's just going to tour and tour and play and tour. Um, you know, my God, he's the real deal. Yeah. He is the real deal. And he's, you know, I will defend the suggestion that Rough and Rowdy Ways is as good as anything he's ever done. I think it's a sensational I think album. it's my favourite insane album. yeah it's insane that somebody with that back catalogue can still produce something I did a thing with uh, your friend of mine Ralph McLean recently about Bob Dylan about Blood on the Tracks and that was seen as a remarkable comeback that Dylan at that point in sort of 74, 75 was seen as the previous decade yeah the artist of the previous decade and no artist was expected to repeat yeah the highs of their sort of 20s when they are driven what we like to call the Henson years <laughs> uh, that they won't that, that they that they don't sort of there's no second act like yep. that and blood on the tracks was regarded in that way you know that was the big second act and here we are 50 years on from Blood on the Tracks and he's produced something else. It's like a fourth or fifth or sixth act in Dylan's career. And I don't think anybody has done that from, you know, not Paul, not John, not George, not the Stones. Nobody has produced anything as vital as the music they were producing in their 20s, Mm. except for Dylan. Yeah. But to tie it back to 
the late great Denny Lane, you know, he is still someone who made this his life and he was still playing gigs up until 2023. He was, you know, in his late 70s, he was still connected to the music, still bringing the music. And, and you know, the, the notion of rock music when it started was that it was a young man's game and you couldn't play it past 30 or past 40. Um, but but he was also a, a, a lifer. Yeah, that's true. I mean, in a different way. He, he, he is the, mm. the journeyman. He's the sideman. I think his relationship with Paul, I think it was unfortunate that, uh, you know, he and Paul, Paul used the expression, drifted apart. You know, there was quite a, a severe severing of that relationship. Yeah. And I don't know how that they had drifted back together again. I mean, I think it's interesting that Paul has, seems to have a very good relationship with Denny Sywell. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but, but the one thing that was very kind of heartening was that Denny Lane's widow sort of put out a statement thanking everybody for all of their support and all that they had done and particularly thanked Paul, who said, she said, was one of the first and the most generous people to get in touch uh, when it became clear that Denny was ill, there was a GoFundMe page, there was going to be a concert, there was going to be a... And I thought that's very nice to hear that Paul was there and that there was that reconnection at that point. That does seem to have been the case, yeah, that Paul kind of stepped up and and, and helped out and and why wouldn't you? It it was sad that there wasn't an opportunity in the last 20 years of Paul on the road for Denny to jump on stage, but I also think that Paul could not do Wings without Linda and so I, I kind of forgive him for that, but I have noticed that you know, he now mentions Denny in concert. So since Denny has passed away, there is now a shout out to Denny Lane every night, it seems, in his in his gigs on his on his current tour, um, which is, is only right and just, I suppose. Um, let's change the subject a little bit. Let, let's talk. We've talked Beatles now for about 17 hours. Let's ask the question of some generic things. Um you know, we've talked a lot about Hackney Diamonds. Was there any other music this year, uh, Stephen or William, that took your fancy? I have a big list. Okay, then read your list. Okay, I have something for the dads, which is <laughs> the Rolling Stones, Hackney Diamonds, and Paul Simon's Seven Psalms. Yes. I, I haven't gone back to Seven Psalms. I think I, I very much like the idea, and I like the precision of it. Um, I listened to it twice. Are you listening to it a lot? I listened to it a lot, and I can tell you the okay. first time the first time I listened to this was in the car, sitting at uh, outside the train station in Belfast, waiting for William Henson to get <laughs> off the bus replacement service from. Uh, so it from provokes Dublin. a lot of memories. Uh, it's happy, as well as themes happy, of mortality. <laughs> happy, happy memories and and themes of mortality. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And where where was I coming from? You were coming from Dublin. Hey. <laughs> um Yeah, I, I really do like this album. And I, I I find it, I don't want to say, I mean, if I say I find it difficult to listen to it, I, I just, it was the fact that it was one continuous piece of music was slightly odd. But the more that I listen to it, the more I think there is a terrible sense of it being a summing up because you get little folk callbacks to sort of things that sound a bit like Angie that he, he did very early on. And, um, but I just, I, I just find it fascinating and I, I have listened to it quite a lot. So I think that's, those are the two for the dads. Mm -hmm. 
I, I'm going to mention a band that William might know called Superviolet and an album called Infinite Spring, which is a kind of the American band, but the kind of teenage fan club, a little bit more acoustic-y, little bit. There's one song called Big Songbirds Don't Cry, which is kind of like the guitar from Dear Prudence. So I, re- I recommend it. Really, really great album. I'm going to mention a band called Witch, W-I-T-C-H, Witch. Okay. Witch. And uh, their album is called right. Zango, and they're, they're an African band and really good. And I'm going to mention two bands that are connected with the podcast. One is Warrington Runcorn Newtown Development, mm-hmm. man, <laughs> which uh, um, is a sort of electronic. Uh, and I don't want to say very lazy to say, oh, it's just like craft work. But if you like craft work, if you like that kind of thing, it's it fills me with a sense of dread. This music is so it's 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 not a kind of party mix. Is it kind of hauntology esque? Is it kind of in that it's, genre? Y- yeah, it's kind of just unsettling, but yeah. in a very entertaining way. And William Henson, turn your friend inside out. <laughs> which I I thought oh, William has sent me a link to this album. I'm going to have to listen to it, and then I'm going to have to kind of say, yeah, this is this is great. And I I seriously. I find myself listening to it just constantly on repeat in the car, in the commute. Uh, it's such a good album. Uh, is We should give a shout out to William Hinson's. It's not called Turn Your Friend Upside Down. It's called Turn Your Friend Inside, Inside Out. Inside Out. Which See, does... I keep saying Turn Your makes, Friend Upside it, Down. That, it makes Stephen's teeth water. The OCD-ness that it doesn't run. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah. congratulations, <laughs> William, on Turn Your Friend Inside Out. Out and if you've been warmed by any of the singles to date, which which uh, I was, yeah, it's a it's a top listen. It's obviously your favorite album of the year, William, as well. Certainly not, but but <laughs> I I do appreciate that very much, fellas. That that means a a great deal, um, especially coming from Stephen because Stephen he's hard to please. Basically, hate you hate everything. So yeah. <laughs> by two, apart from now now and then. Mess It Up by The Stones, which I think is just such a great uh, track. My, my favourite bit in Mess It Up is where he goes, seduce your landlord, which makes me laugh every <laughs> time. You every know, that's time. the worst it's, thing someone could do is seduce their landlord. My third top three song is uh, uh, Fun Employment. I think that is such a great song off William's album. So there you go. Thank you. You, Thank you, you are whole and outs. <laughs> Uh, well, you're, you're, and I, I've got a restraining order against yeah, myself. Yeah, exactly. Um, what have you been listening to, William? What uh, What's your pick of the year outside of your own stuff? A couple of records really, really, really uh, stood out. Uh, certainly, I would say my number one uh, was In the End It Always Does by a UK artist called The Japanese House. Um, she is so fantastic. And I... I got to see her in, I guess it was October or November. No, it was November. It was like right before the record came out. Um, yeah, that is just such a fabulous record. Um, and then another UK artist named Eloise put out a record called Drunk on a Flight. And that was that was a huge part of the, the early part of my year. Um, another UK artist uh, who is living in the States and uh, I've been a fan of him for 
<clears throat> since since uh, since 2020, actually. Uh, but then, remarkably, uh, we have a mutual friend um, who introduced us, and he actually came to see me play when he was still living in L.A., but his name is Dan Kroll, and he's from Liverpool. And um, uh, But he put out a new record called Fools, which is a great record as well. Um, and he put that out actually while I was in Ireland yeah. with you guys. So well, yes, this can't be right. There's not a single inter- person on this list over 50. This can't be right. <laughs> you've toured internationally this year, William, of course. It's important to point that out. Yeah, yeah. I played, played in, uh, in Kilkenny in Ireland. That was, that was a fun gig. Um, and then I'd also say... Of the people that I don't necessarily know, I would say uh, Be the Wheel by Theo Katzman is a great record. Uh, Blue Boy Must Die by No Rome. Um, Young Hearts by Benny Sings is a great record. Obviously, The Record by Boy Genius, which I have mixed feelings about Boy Genius, but I, I do. There are some tunes on there that are, are fantastic. Um, and then uh, of, of some good friends of mine, um, Noah Flourish put out a record called Noah, which is very, very, very wonderful. And, uh, uh, he's, he is more wonderful than his record is actually, but, um, uh, his record is very wonderful. And then my good friends, the Brook and the Bluff put out a record called Bluebeard, which is also fantastic. And you should all listen to that as well. I hope this is making you feel as old as I feel. I feel I've stumbled onto, uh, I don't know, a page on The Quietus. It, and I it don't just, know what it, anyone's talking about. It should make feel you feel old. very... It should make you feel very hip and young that you're that you're going to go I'm, take all of these suggestions and... It's well, like an up, up-tempo, enthusiastic version of the of Pitchfork. <laughs> I, um, I well, never well, give listen, a bad Thanks review. for asking... <laughs> I'll, I'll just name I, I don't really have a big list of albums uh, the, the one that Good, really, moving on <laughs> <laughs> What you got Jason What I you f- got What you got No well, well, well We talk about Hackney Diamonds Which you know If you're thinking about Well what do I keep popping on Um what I've actually found myself doing this week is I've been putting out weekly playlists over on Mastodon, which means nobody hears them, and um, uh, just trying to you know focus on individual songs and playlists and just kind of go where the fancy takes me. The one album that I've really enjoyed the execution of though this year and the songs and the sound of it and which I think needs a shout out is Peter Gabriel's I.O., which I think is a fantastic record, um, immaculately put together. Um, he'd been away for so long. I know he'd done a lot of stuff in the last 20 years, but, you know, I wasn't really expecting his first open inverted commas proper, close inverted commas album in 20 years to actually have tunes and meaning and feeling. And it's it's as good as anything he's done. Um, if people have bought the album, it comes in a bright side mix and a dark side mix, the same album. The dark side mix is the one for me. Um, and he put his songs out on a monthly lunar cycle, which I really enjoyed. Uh, and I think it's I think it's a fantastic record. And it was one of the uh, I also saw him in concert this year. So it was one of the gigs of the year. Um, in I, I find less and less. I actually haven't bought a lot of individual albums this year. I've just been listening to random various streaming stuff and going where the mood takes me. The other thing I'd give a shout out for reissue wise. Again, I haven't bought a lot of boxes or reissues, but the Dylan Fragments bootleg series box set is just sensational. And I don't really own any of the other Dylan bootleg box sets because they always seem a bit like overkill. But this is the box set to go with time out of mind. And again, it improves that album. I quite like them not having the um, the kind of the heavy Daniel Lanois-isms of the original production. So I think that's, uh, that's quite good. And uh, yeah, gig-wise... 
I, I, as I said, I really enjoyed Peter Gabriel. I, I had a fantastic gig with Elvis Costello in Dublin back in September. I very much enjoyed that. Um, Ron Sexsmith, Ron Sexsmith, Robin Hitchcock, uh, Arctic Monkeys. There were some good shows this year. What about you guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was at that Costello gig. That was much. I, I went with not high expectations. Um, I'm not sure why. I, I, I wasn't sort of particularly tuned in for that but I think sometimes if you go with that mindset and mm. it was a fantastic uh, I, w- I saw Mavis Staples for the first time in the Union sure. Chapel uh, with Dave and uh, Chris Floyd and uh, that was a fantastic concert I'd never been in the venue before just absolutely gorgeous uh, venue I was at the Peter Gabriel gig I was very unsettled by the opening of that Peter Gabriel Peter Gabriel gig where they all gathered around a campfire and I thought oh my god God, this is going to be awful. Mm. And then mm. they sort of dispensed with that quite early. It just, yeah, the, the show, I mean, I've seen Peter Gabriel three or four times now, and he certainly does a theatrical show. And this one, so I was trying to avoid set lists and spoilers. And yeah, it starts with them around a theatrical single bulb as a pseudo campfire. And Peter starts the show with like a lecture. He, he does like a five yeah. minute talk at the start of the show and everyone's listening. Because you should try that, William. <laughs> just come out and give a okay, talk on, about the state of the human down. condition. Give a little kind of TED talk before you before sure. you start. I, I I was deeply unsettled by that. But then it just grew, and it was so fantastically put together. It was very well put together. I what I would say is, having listened to the Peter Gabriel album, I like the Peter Gabriel album. But my problem is, I bought it. I heard it. It wasn't out after I'd seen those songs performed live and every single live version of of those songs was, to my ears, was better. And if I never hear him sing Biko ever again, I I would be... Yeah, I do do agree with that because I thought, is the show over? And uh, my wife's like, no, we've got to get Biko. I'm like, oh yeah, Biko. Um, uh, I'm afraid to ask William about his gigs of the year because he'll probably say Flim Flam and the Terry Wellies or something that I don't (laughs) understand. I'll just feel... I'll just I'll just have to get my frame. Um, uh, yeah, I saw the 1975 in November. Uh, uh, Haven't they been cancelled? No, they've been re-uncancelled. Oh, okay. <laughs> Cancellation happens once a week these days. Um, uh, yeah, I saw them. Obviously, always a great show. Um, the Japanese House, like I said before, is a great gig. Um, I saw I, w- I was on tour with a buddy of mine uh, named Jordy Searcy and he at the same time was uh, as doing his headline run was opening for uh, a guy called Ben Rector and so I got to see him open for Ben uh, a- as well as my, my other friend Stephen Day uh, they opened uh, for Ben at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville and that was a that was a really wild mm. wild thing uh, to see that's a um, that's a venue I'd love to get to sometime yeah, it was it was cool to sit in the dressing room of of the Ryman and have like Johnny Cash on the wall staring at me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, Theo Katzman, I I saw him in April. It was fantastic. I saw Ben Folds for the first time. Oh yeah, uh, hometown hero Ben Folds. He's uh, the only other musician from Winston Salem, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I'll just I'll just say that I I saw him. That's that's okay. what I'm going to say. He cancelled his Dublin gig, unfortunately, due to tendonitis, so we didn't get to see him. I think that he means. I think he means well, but he 
I don't think he meant well that night. <laughs> he certainly, yeah, he certainly um, brings it, whether it's good or bad, from the few times I've seen him. Sure. You know? um, so any other uh, cultural highlights this year? Um, uh, books? I think Beatle book-wise, is the Mal Evans book, have we decided that that's the book of the year? I'm still digesting it. I haven't gotten yeah. to the end of it yet. Yeah, I'm still reading it. And I think I'm kind of disappointed at the amount of information that I'm getting from it. I mean, I'm not quite sure what I expected, but I've just got to the point where the Beatles have broken up. He's having issues with Badfinger. I find all that fascinating. And really that to me is more interesting than who set the fireworks off in Ringo's garden in a particular uh, <laughs> year for, for Guy Fawkes. So I, I'm, I think I'm kind of getting to the really interesting part now, which is also the kind of slightly sad and tragic part, but that's just yep. me. Um, yes, and of course we've all watched Succession and um, Slow Horses, and that's basically everyone else. Slow horses, slow horses, no. slow horses for the slow, win. Am I right? Slow horses, the best show on television. Oh god damn, yeah, a hundred percent, absolutely, it's so good. It's better. It's better than Star Trek Voyager. I must take a look. Good god, <laughs> um, uh, Gary Oldman can do no wrong. He says confidently. Um, yep. Into the ether. Uh, <laughs> fully expecting an article in my inbox. Um, I will say... Uh, oh, What's your favorite podcast, William? Uh, I actually... Good, good yeah, I, I actually posted this on on, uh, on Instagram, prob- maybe on Twitter as well, I don't know, but... Uh, Get ready with the eject button. But I, I put <laughs> I put uh, the Nothing Is Real, a Beatles podcast, uh, <laughs> as my only podcast. Although I will Excellent. say I have been listening a lot to uh, Conan Needs a Friend, um, oh, yeah. which I, I just love Conan. Um, I will say too, I know, uh, Stephen and I, uh, uh, we talked about this, but, uh, I, I really like the McCartney legacy book. I do like that book. I like that book a lot too. I very much enjoyed that book. I thought it was great. I kind of liked the fact that it was half biography, half kind of fact finding mission. And it was a, a chunk of time where, I don't think I'd, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think I'd appreciated the chronology of it in the same way that I had done for the Beatles universe. You know, there's this kind of a, sometimes feels like you fall off an information cliff in 1970. And I really appreciated what they were doing. I very much enjoyed it. I know you weren't a massive, uh, massively sold on it, Stephen. I haven't read it. I gave up. Ah. Huh. I got about I got about three or four thousand pages in. <laughs> and I, I, I thought... I it, I just can't I can't take this in and I I you know there's a lot of information in there it was I think it was the New York Times or the New Yorker one of those New York publications that said it's just a data dump and I thought yeah, yeah. It, it is and I was kind of disappointed that there wasn't a narrative there wasn't a kind of driving narrative through it which and it sort of I'm sure it's not the author's fault, but the publishers were selling it as it's the new tune in. Yeah. No, it's not. No, it's, it's not, not the new tune in. No. I think it's another thing uh, instead of tune in. And but they I, marketed it in that way. The, you know, the, I, I, I would say that it's somewhere above like the Beatles recording sessions book and mm. something below tune in. Like that, because it mm. is so much, like you said, Jason, like it is so much a fact finding mission. Yeah. And then there's like a little bit of like, man, McCartney, kind of a dope dude, kind of a dope dude, <laughs> just thrown in there. 
And I, I, I mean, think, honestly, yeah, yeah uh, it's the same. In many ways, I think it's the same reason that a lot of people listen to this podcast. Although there's, you know, th- this podcast <laughs> is not just a fact finding mission. They're obviously, you know, the forty Alan Klein episodes, like you know, a great through line through all of those. Um, very, very, very carefully put together podcast. <laughs> it's top banter. <laughs> the thing I like least about the, uh, the the McCartney legacy book is the paper. Oh, right. Okay. Man. Wow. We're, well, we're I real, it. And if they want to send me really a proof of volume hair. two, I'll be very happy to help out in any way I can because I very much liked it. I thought I, I very much enjoyed how much effort he put into trying to record high, high, high. The man who was able to record, you know, yesterday, I've just seen a face and I'm down in one three hour afternoon session yeah. was really mucking away at that track for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it's <laughs> for what end? I do not know. But, you know, dynamite weed and all of that kind of stuff. Um, do you listen to any other podcasts, Stephen? Anything you want to recommend? I listen to The Rest is History. Of course. Yes. With Tom That's Holland. My very good show business. Showbiz pal. pal. My showbiz pal, Tom <laughs> Holland. Uh, I really, really recommend it. It's They've got literally thousands of episodes. They put out two episodes a week, every week. I don't know how they get anything else done. Uh, yeah, I mean, I really, really don't. They give a spectacular live show. Um, I saw them in Dublin. They've been in America. They've been in Australia. Just... If you look at the episode list, you will find something that you like. And the most interesting thing is that recently they did a sort of six or seven part series on the Aztecs and then a six or seven part series on JFK. And they've never done that before. And I like to think that's the nothing is real influence. <laughs> multi The rest is history. Multi-part episodes are now there. You, you guys are influencers. Mm. Uh, yeah, well, we're now we're influencers. influencers. Um, I, I, I want to give a shout out for You Spring and Springsteen on My Bean, which is a very stupid Bruce Springsteen podcast that I very much enjoyed this year, um, along with Freedom and Comedy Bang Bang. Um, I've got some nothing is real stats, Stephen. Um, how many episodes do you think we've done this year? 12. At least 16. We've done 52. We've put out 52 Nothing Is Reels this year. Three live shows, one Mark Lewis interview in front of an audience and one radio series for BBC Radio Ulster available on BBC Sounds. Well, one this year and one last year. So we've now got two series of Give Ireland Back, uh, which you should all check out. The first series is all about the Beatles and the second series we're looking at Kate Bush and Nirvana and the Smiths and who am I forgetting? Uh, Oasis. Uh, BBC Sounds Give Ireland Back and uh, it's available for, not wherever you get your podcasts but wherever you get your BBC shows which is BBC Sounds so we should that's uh, true uh, that, that, that's, a, that's a year's work and how many how many times were you mentioned in the New York Times we were mentioned once in the New York Times which is very sweet we were mentioned once by Charlie Brooker which out of all the things that have you know inexplicably happened to the podcast in the last couple of years and we're always grateful and we're always very thankful there was definitely a Charlie Brooker effect when Charlie Brooker mentioned us in The Guardian as the podcast he likes to fall asleep to and um, certainly got me a kudos um, from my kids because I said he's the man who writes Philomena Kunk and uh, they all thought that was quite cool and Johnny Marr gave us a shout out as well and that was also very very strange <laughs> that, that the, the one degree of separation from Johnny Marr all of those things happened within a sort of three-week period. It was a very strange three-week period. <laughs> it was very altogether. strange. Very strange altogether. You, you, would, you would swear we had a publicist, but we don't. We just don't. Uh, I think it's, 
the Henson effect. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should get a publicist. Anyway, but that's not necessary. We always end our end of year review shows um, by asking you to, we've been asking people to send in their questions because it's getting quite late now on Christmas Day. And, you know, we need to go to bed. Um, but uh, separate beds, separate beds, separate beds. This isn't Morecambe and Wise. And uh, so what we've done is we've collated the questions and because producer Edo has uh, been unable to make it this evening, he's stuck in a snowdrift. Um, um, you have a selection of questions there, William, which you are free to put to us in any sort of random order. Uh, choose the ones you find most interesting or least interesting or um, dig them out and um, hit us with them. And me and Stephen will give our spontaneous... Uh, Christmas opinions on these things. Okay, great. Um, this one it comes from Patience Mall uh, at Patience Mall Six. This is a freebie. Um, why is Broad Street so good? Excellent question, uh, Patience Mall Six. I can answer that question. <laughs> it isn't. I, <laughs> I thought you were going to say because I haven't seen it. Was what you were going to say, Stephen, who still yes. has not. Uh, submitted himself. I think it would have to be done clockwork orange style with the little hooks <laughs> in the eyelids um, to watch uh, Broad Street. Broad Street is so good. I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's the magical mystery tour of Paul's solo career and we need to just embrace it and enjoy the musical sequences and it's just bizarre and unusual and, you know, like the other things we've talked about, it, you know, it shouldn't be swept under the rug. It should just be put out there. Let's just get on with it. We're all grown-ups Gosh, damn it. Except, except William. Well, <laughs> you know, someday, so, someday, someday I'll grow someday. into a big boy. Um, Keep going. <laughs> uh, I, I will say, and you, you guys can cut this or you can save it for, uh, uh, maybe you can save this for your eventual, inevitable Broad Street episode. Uh, but uh, when I was in, in Belfast with Stephen, we had a conversation about how deeply that impacted Paul's not only his career, but him personally, where he, for the oh, rest sh- of totally, the 80s. Totally. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, here we go. Which is a better Beatles song, Now and Then or Double Back Alley? <laughs> Who's that from? Oh, I think that's from Dave Dogface Boy. That is from Dave Dogface Boy. <laughs> yes, Dave. Dave and his Ruttles references. Well, we've discussed Now and Then. I mean, the Ruttles are fantastic. Um I had Let's Be Natural uh, playing in the car on the way home this evening. I've been going through a big Bonzo Dog band phase because uh, there's a massive Bonzo Dog uh, box set due next year and I was playing them. Um, I was playing the Keensham album, however you pronounce it. There's a brilliant song on that called uh, What Do You Do, which is a Neil Innes song, which sounds like it's predating pre-Britpop. Britpop. It sounds like the Boo Radleys or something like that. And... Uh, so yeah, it, it, it's all good, but I'm, I'm ready to spend a lot of money next year on this apparently behemoth Bonzo Dog box set that's coming. The answer to the question is Double Back Alley is a more, <laughs> is a more Beatle-y song than Now and Then. Double Back Alley is a fantastic song. Fantastic song. <laughs> um, okay, uh, this is from Michelle Murtaugh. Uh, ah, it's a, N.I.R. Scruff herself. N.I.R. Scruff. Um my Christmas question is, what was the best thing or the thing you enjoyed most about doing the live shows in Belfast, Dublin, and London? <laughs> uh, just meeting the people, right, Stephen? 
just getting out there. Meeting the fans, um, man. Meeting the fans. <laughs> autographs. Famous groupies. <laughs> yeah. Just the hordes of crowds. The screaming girls. Oh, the in-store signing. Um, yeah. It was a very surreal experience, I have to admit. And... Um, uh, well, w- 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 without going into deep and meaningful stuff, my, my my father passed away in October, and so I I ended up doing the shows in the, in the back of all of that, and all of that was kind of odd and strange for me. So, um, uh, yeah, it's all kind of mixed up in all of that time, and I don't think I've processed any of these things yet, to tell you the truth. Um, but I was kind of amazed that people turned out and paid good money to come and listen to us and it was very humbling and lovely and um, everybody seemed to be really nice <laughs> I think is what I would say I, I I would agree with that and although we're kind of joking about you know meeting the fans man I think it it was weird that people people travelled Dieter travelled from Germany to Dublin yeah. just to see yeah. the show you know there were people came from Scotland it was very very odd to be on a stage and think these people had come to hear what we had to say. It was it was great. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I think actually meeting people that in real life that you only had interacted with online. Mm. They exist. They're real people. <laughs> you know, it was the first time I'd interacted in real life with people I'd met in online who didn't actually have an OnlyFans account, but it was great. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. This is from Nemo. What are the top five Beatles-related locations you have visited? Ah, yes, I saw this question going around online. Uh, Abbey Road, Liverpool, <clears throat> the Cavern, where else? I, I still have to do the Hamburg thing. Um, where else? I don't know. Abbey Road is quite strange. And when I lived in London, uh, you know, I lived there for seven or eight years. And, you know, when you're driving around and you have to you know, your travels take you past Abbey Road. It's very funny that it's just a functioning part of the city. And, uh, you know, you can just turn on the webcam and see people crossing it at any time of day, but you're also trying to get somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, and of course, vis- yeah, visiting the inside of Abbey Road as well. What about you, Stephen? Yeah, I, I was thinking about this and I, I actually had forgotten that we'd gone to Abbey Road and we got into Abbey Road and you'd <laughs> injured all those children getting to the piano. But uh, <laughs> it, it was, yeah, Abbey Road. I, I, I kind of wandered around Abbey Road that day, strangely unmoved by the experience until we were sort of 10 or 15 minutes into the lecture and the guy went, and over there in the corner is where they set the drum kit up on the first day. And then I thought I was going to faint because it, it just suddenly the enormity of being in in, in that space. Uh, but top five, so I, that's got to be the number one. You know, I was there on the 50th anniversary of the Rooftop concert. I was outside uh, Savile Row, which was kind of cool. Most recently, I was in London. I met up with Dave, Dogface Boy, and completely unplanned, we just wandered around some of the locations from the Mad Day Out photo shoot. And we're sort of trying between us to recreate, you know, I'm just going to sit on this bench, which led to hilarious Photoshopping opportunities (laughs) for people online. And the most recent Beatles places I visited were when William was in Belfast and we went to the King's Hall and I had to take a photograph of don't look for it. It's not there. It is still there. It's just the front of it is still there. Um, so yeah, I would think I think Abbey Road and the Mad Day Out were, were 
because it was sort of unplanned and spontaneous, the second one of those. So. Sorry, long-winded answer to a question. Yeah, I, I would say uh, just to, they didn't ask for my answer, but I'm going to answer it anyway. Uh, I I went to a lot of Beatle-related uh, places this year, uh, but I've, I'm trying to I'm trying to cross off uh, all of the places that they played in America, like off of my list of like oh I've been to that. So like this year I went to the Washington Coliseum, and they, they actually have like a big poster like huge banner thing outside that says the Beatles played here and um obviously I've been in New York but yeah going going to all of those places in in Belfast was cool and I went uh with you Jason in Dublin to where they played um that's right yeah the, the parking garage uh where they played <laughs> uh this is from Will Neville what do you most want to see from the Georgia state in 2024 however before you answer that I'm going to yes. I'm going to combine this with another question, uh, which is from MP Jones at Travelers Writ One. Uh, <laughs> where do we think the solo archive sets go from here? Maca clearly given up. Uh, Lennon skipping releases. George seemingly with no cohesive plan. Uh, has their bloater, bloated nature defeated them? I know you guys sort of talked about this earlier on. Uh, this episode, but w- what would you most like to see from any of of the the solo archives? Well, I think Stephen hit the nail on the head earlier. I think you know we're definitely getting a mind games box set. It has a template, and we seem to be pretty certain it'll follow that template. Everyone should just follow that template. I I do wonder whether the All Things Must Pass box set was a bit of an underseller. Um, I thought it was an odd price point for an odd. It's kind of an. It didn't really feel like a luxury product. The the kind of the standard box set, not the the wooden one, and um, it, it was you know it's about one hundred and twenty thirty quid on CD when it came out, and it's kind of a small form box set. Whereas the Lennon boxes are about a hundred quid and have an awful lot of bang for their buck. So, I think there is a market for these things, but it's it's not limitless. And you know, I think the momentum is gone from Paul's archive collection. I think it's kind of ridiculous to think that they'll be 14 years old, the archive collections next year, you know, we're, we're you know, I, th- I think it's over. Um, or he's lost interest or the market has lost interest. Um, you know, I would be delighted to, even if they did London Town and back to the egg and say, that's that, I'd be delighted to get standardised Paul boxes, but it seems to be the Lennon estate are being consistent with what they're doing. And I think they, they hit a, a, you know, stone in the road with some time in New York City. It's definitely on a shelf somewhere. If that had come out last year and we were getting Mind Games next year, um, you know, we think, yep, yeah, they've got a plan. It's all coming together. So, um, yes, I would like physical product and good documentation with the physical product. Lennon is doing it. The Who seem to be doing it. Um, I don't know why the others can't. Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. And I, But the thing that I really do want to get is the living in the material world box and I agree if if all things must pass had come out in the sort of 10 inch format box that Lennon is doing it would have it would have looked more substantial and it would have looked as if you were buying as you say a luxury product and I think that that is the template but I think living in the material world I think those sessions are ripe for rediscovery because you you there's a Ringo is recording stuff there. You know, you've got versions of Photograph there. Um, You've got the Ronnie Spector sessions that he did in 1971 that never came out. So there's a lot of material there that could make for a great archive set. 
I'm looking forward to mind games. I agree, McCartney's just abandoned the archive set. And we always say this, we've said this five years on the trot, why is there no Ringo Starr Apple years box set? That's just such a no-brainer. Um, uh, it's a perfect size, and there's so much good stuff that we haven't heard. Yeah. And, you know, maybe Ringo's just not interested, but he should be. <laughs> uh, okay, this is from number 48. Did George's Christmas 1973 announcement at Tittenhurst ruin the chances of a reunion in 1974? That announcement being, hey man, I love your wife. Yes, this is George loving Ringo's wife. I don't huge, think so. Huge announcement. I, d- I don't think, I mean, there was never a definite uh, uh, reunion planned in 74. Those guys were a movable feast. Anything could have happened. I don't think that was the straw that broke the camel's back. I think any reunion hinged on John and Paul. And there was lots of almost moments with John and Paul. You know, we've all seen the the Polaroid picture taken by Harry Nielsen of them hanging out. Um, John supposed to be on Venus and Mars. That was the axis where it needed to work. Um, And that's why it didn't happen. I don't think... As 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 poor form as it was, I don't think the "I'm in love with your wife" announcement was was. The- no, I don't think there was a reunion on the cards in '74. Uh, so it was just one more thing. This one I love personally, uh, and I have already dubbed it "Shavegate." This is from Andy Flood over email. <laughs> One thing has been puzzling me this year. We all know traditionally Paul likes to control the narrative and present himself in a positive way. And nothing wrong with that. He's Paul Bloody McCartney. But for one with an eye on how things look, what theories do you have on why he seems increasingly to turn up for media slash gigs slash videos unshaven? It must be a conscious choice but doesn't seem to fit the usual Macca persona. Take it away. <laughs> That's another podcast. Um, this is a man who grew his first beard for Let It Be. And I mean, f- to be his first beard, it's a hell a of a beard. great beard. Mm. Great beard. Um, he does good beard. I don't know. I think as someone that has a beard, I kind of grew a beard because I was just tired of shaving. You know, it's just a chore to get up in the morning and have to shave. Although that said, a beard is probably as labor intensive as shaving. You just can kind of do it when it suits you and you don't have to do it when you're rushing out for work. Um, I think I think he's just going for that. It's just a look. And I think he's just obviously feels comfortable with it. I prefer it to the dyed hair you know, yeah. trying to recreate Paul in his Shea Stadium outfit, which he did for a long time on the basis that, you, you know, I ha- I am presenting the Beatles to you, so I have to kind of, from the back of the stadium, if you kind of squint, you, you think, oh, it's 1965, Paul. I I think he suits it. Um, yeah, he's an 80-year-old man. Yeah, I, I think he can do what he wants, but it's not really a beard, really, I don't think. It's quite stubbly. It's It's like designer stubble for it's, the 80, over 80. Yeah. It's certainly I mean, crusty. A, a very mon- 
a very mundane reason might be maybe he's on blood thinners, but I, I don't know where people tend to avoid shaving. Um, but I, 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 I don't know. Um, it's, it's an odd look, but uh, yeah, I think it's better than, as you say, having his, having his hair all coloured. I will say this is an, uh, a question I actually uh, asked Abigail uh, about recently because we went to a book uh, signing and uh, sort of talk with Henry Winkler, who is also an hey. old guy. Hey, and hey. Uh, hey. and uh, and he was rocking the same type of stubble. So I don't know. Uh, interesting question. Hmm. Um, okay, a uh, few more here. Uh, I like uh, this one. This is from, I guess it's from Twitter. This is Pure Pop For Now People. Um, A question for your Christmas show. What Beatles books do you use the most as a reference tool when putting each show together? I I use whatever notes Stephen pushes my way. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, Lewison and um, just kind of... The McCartney legacy. General internet, yeah. McCartney legacy is just a game changer. Uh, <laughs> what are you, you? You know, you've seen uh, Stephen's library, William. So, yeah. um there's know, a couple in what, there. Uh, what what books would you choose? We quote from McCartney's many years from now quite a lot. You know, if it's a Paul episode, I think the books that come with the Beatles box sets are invaluable. I think there yeah. hasn't been a book that isn't worth reading and that isn't deserving of a standalone release uh even with the disappointment box i think the book is the most interesting thing in that box yeah i think lewis's recording sessions are although they're out of date although there is new information i think that's a good starting point Uh, for the early years tune in but really it just depends on you know what we're covering if it's George Harrison and it's, it's, it's an album then it's Simon Lang's book on his songs or it's George's I Me Mine so it, it depends but I think the I think you're safe with anything that's been written by Mark Lewis and, definitely yeah. this is from Owen Ling at Owen Ling is it fair to describe Deliver Your Children as Lane's finest moment with wings and if not what was I'm a big fan of again and again and again but then I'm a back to the egg head. Um, I think that's a great little pop song. It's just, it sits really well in that kind of smorgasbord of a record. I think it, it is again and again and again, it's a great song, but I have to say, I absolutely agree with Owen. I think Deliver Your Children is a marvellous song. It's a mm-hmm. kind of really driving folk, English folk style and it's the guitar sound, the acoustic guitar sound that they get on that song is just perfect. And I would say that not only is that Denny Lane's finest moment with Wings, if it weren't for Cafe on the left bank, it would be the best track on London Town. I think it gives Cafe on the left bank, which is my favourite Wings song, uh, a run for its money on that album. So, yeah, well done, Owen. Love it. Go on, one more. Okay, one more. And I will say this. Uh, I'm going to commandeer this last question because... Okay. Um, okay, really quick, and I, I will, I'll be very brief with it. I'm obviously a big fan of this podcast. Five years ago, when did this podcast start? June 2018? 2019. May 2019, but it's five years since we started ruminating. It was, about, it was Christmas 2018. Okay, so yeah, so four years ago then, um, 
I listened to the Christmas episode and I had a question uh, that I had asked. I, I didn't know either of you. I had never had correspondence with either of you. And I was super elated to get my question on the air. Okay, so I asked you this question four years ago, uh, and you answered it four years ago. So I'm going to ask again. How have the two of you grown as friends by making this podcast? <laughs> oh, you can answer that, Stephen. <laughs> We, we dislike each other even more than we did uh, in 2019. So you, you've heard of Hall of Notes, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, no. It, it just gets deeper every day, William. It's, it's, Perfect. It's, it's, it's intense. Perfect. <laughs> um, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's mild. I think what, doing the live shows was very strange to kind of present... Um, you know, uh, essentially a, a double act, you know, that was another part of the processing of it. It was very strange to do it and not have an edit button because, yeah. you know, you can, you, you're a musician, William, you can fix anything in the mix. Yeah. Um, and I think it was odd to do those live shows and not have an edit button. Yeah. Um, that was kind of, that was kind of weird, but I like the idea that you asked that question and that you didn't know us and it's, if there are young kids out there, it's, you know, dreams can come true. <laughs> <laughs> you too can meet Mark Lewison. It's just as simple yeah. as that. That's yeah. really, that was really the number one goal and it happened pretty quick. Yeah. So, you know, everything else has been gravy. We can say it, we can say it now. We only formed the podcast in order to meet Mark <laughs> yeah. Lewison. Well, and, uh, yeah. Well, I will say, oh. I, I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, it, it's been a thrill to to be a fan of something and then to be able to, in some ways, become a, a, a part of it, even a small part. Uh, but it was it was great to to meet both of you uh, in person this year uh, in Ireland. Yeah, that was a lot of Northern fun. Ireland. That was a lot of fun. Um, so that was very strange. That was very strange <laughs> that I suddenly I suddenly kind of you know you wake up one day and realize that your North American correspondent is sleeping in the spare room. Yeah. It's very strange. Well, it's very, very strange to get in the shower uh, at your house, Stephen. And uh, see all my, those my, dolls' heads. My, my, usual, my, usual, my usual routine of, of listening to the new Nothing Is Real episode and being like, wait, I, I can't do this because this voice... I'm in his shower. This voice is in the house. <laughs> <laughs> but I could ju I could just have come and you know shouted through the door yeah, yeah, and done yeah. the episode. <laughs> Facts about Yoko. Um, well, no, thank you very much, William, uh, for being a, a great addition, and uh, thank you for coming in today because poor old poor Edo just couldn't make it. He sends his Christmas wishes, and of course, apologies to Lester Nidge for not getting his annual question in through the gate. Uh, maybe we'll have time for it next year, Lester Nidge Nige. Um, but that's about it. But yes, happy Christmas, William, and um, we're going to push you back out now through the door and into the snow again and we'll see you next listen year. the snow is falling <laughs> hey i get that reference happy christmas fellas um you know what Stephen? we've been nattering a long long time and i think we need to go off and enjoy the rest of christmas i think i'll pop on call the midwife and put my feet into some epsom salts i'm gonna go and look for a christmas episode of uh, star trek voyager <laughs> Fair enough. Um, listen, everybody, we want to thank you for all your support in 2023. Uh, as we said, we've done a lot of things. It's been uh, an absolute wild ride. And we're very, very, very grateful for 
all your tweets and mentions and listens and downloads uh, for people who've dialed up on Acast Plus. Um, that's, we, we thank you as well. That's just been brilliant. Um, we remain available in all the usual places. We're on X at Beatles Pod, uh, the Nothing's Real Facebook group. Everything is covered in www.nothingisrealpod.com, our mailing list, our email, nothingisrealpod at outlook.com, um, Mastodon, Instagram. Uh, there's a Threads account now. It's just all over the place. And, um, you know, you can sign up for all the extra episodes at uh, Acast Plus uh, for our uh, 16 songs of 66, which now has a 17th song added to it for Christmas. That's just how generous we are. Um, but yeah, we want to wish everyone a very happy and peaceful Christmas and a very happy new year. I think you'd second that, wouldn't you, Stephen? I would indeed. Happy Christmas, everybody. Happy new year. Live long and prosper. Yes. Uh, but for now, my name is Jason Carty. My name is Stephen Cockcroft. And this has been Nothing Is Real. <laughs> and his name is... And my name is William Henson. <laughs> <laughs> This has been Nothing Is Real. Thanks for listening. Happy Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.